Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Um, Do you know that the right thing at the wrong time can still be the wrong thing? You know what I'm saying? Um, I got a couple of examples that I think will help illustrate that a little bit better. Um, These are uh, some songs that you probably recognize, but there's just some things that are different about them. So if you can play the first one there. Y'all thinking, what church did I come to today? Turn it up a little bit, if you could. It's painful, isn't it? It's painful. Some of y'all are like, I don't know, I don't get it. <laughs> All right, that's enough torture for that one. Okay, we can go to the next one. There's another one. <sighs> yeah, that's fun. It, yeah. All right, and then one more. knife in you. All right, that's good. That's good. That's good. So, <laughs> so the first two, like the timing was off, you know, it was offbeat, stuff came in late. That last one, it was the, the pitch. Now, those were the right notes in another song probably, you know, but not, not that one. And so the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. And some of y'all, was it really driving you crazy? You, I've had to listen to those things like 12 times getting ready for today. So I, I've suffered more than you'll ever suffer. It, it was driving me nuts, you know, but it's just like, you know the way it's supposed to go, but it just won't fit right. It doesn't sync right. You can't get on beat and your brain just cannot compute. And, and so what I'm trying to get you to think about is this, that, that truth. We've already said it like two or three times now. The right thing at the wrong time can still be the wrong thing. You know, that's sort of what anxiety sounds like, you know, if you were looking for a way to describe anxiety to somebody, that's probably a good thing is going, there are whole playlists on YouTube, not just these songs, a lot of songs of people that have taken and get them off beat, get them off key, and there's some sick, twisted people in this world, is all I got to say. They need to put them on some kind of terror watch list, people that are making those. But if you want to show somebody, if somebody wants to know what anxiety feels like, you can take them to YouTube and show them that. And that, that to me, is a good example of what it is. And so what we talked about, we talked about last week, if you remember, we talked about the idea of hurry sickness and how this world is so going so fast, going so fast, going so fast. And even we as believers get caught up in this hurry sickness where our bodies and our minds and our hearts are just not focused and tuned into God. 
And if you weren't here, we had a little checklist that you could check off. I think it was 10 things that you could go through and see if you have the symptoms for hurry sickness. I believe there's still a few of those back on the back welcome table. So if you did not get one of those and you want to go through and see, that's a good way to do it. And so what we're talking about today is more of the idea of getting our hearts in tune with God. You know, when, when things get off beat in our lives, like those songs are, you know, it, it causes pain. It causes pain more in some people than others, but for some of us, we just get really, really down. We get really discouraged. We get anxious. We get just out of sorts. And here's what I want you to hear, if, you know, especially if you were here last week or you go back and you listen to that message. If, if we're saying, if you feel like you have hurry sickness, we're not saying that you're dealing with mental illness. You, you could be, I, and I'm not, that's not a joke or anything. We're not saying that you are, but here's what we are saying, is that a lot of us, many of us, are struggling in our daily lives. And we closed out the message last week, one of the last things that we said was, was this, that your life is perfectly designed to get the results that you're getting. You know what I mean? And when I, when I heard that, I, like I told you, that was not original to me. When I heard that, I was like, eesh. Like the, the stuff I complain about, the, the chaotic way that I feel, I've allowed my life to be designed to get those results. And so if I want something different, I've got to reset. And I'm challenging you, I'm calling you to do the same thing, to look at your life and say, God, help me to see what I need to do to reset. And the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus and in his word, God's word, there's a practice that can help us. A guy named Adam Grant wrote an article early during COVID, and uh, it was in the New York Times, and he called it, uh, or introduced the idea of languishing. And he said that, um, that, that languishing is sort of the, the middle child, the forgotten middle child of between depression and flourishing. He said, not everybody's going through depression, but not everybody's flourishing. A lot of us are kind of stuck in that middle that he called languishing, where we're just blah. And we just can't get out of the blah. A lot of that is because of hurry sickness. And so Jesus, and in the Word, has given us an idea that for a lot of us is sort of foreign. And I'll be completely honest, this idea, not the concept, not the biblical teaching, not the, the, the truth behind it, none of that was foreign to me, but the practice of it has been something that I have struggled with in my life. And it's a simple word that you may or may not have heard before called Sabbath. Sabbath. Um, so much so, I, there's a message. I, I want to give credit where credit is due. I'm, I'm borrowing a lot of the ideas and the, the flow of this from a, a preacher by the name of, uh, oh gosh, I just went completely blank. His last name's Moynihan. Uh, forgive me for getting his first name. But I was thankful for what he shared, and so I wanted to share it with you because it's been helpful for me. We need a reset, and this word Sabbath is a Hebrew word, Shabbat. You may have heard it. We can go ahead and show that on the screen. There you go. Oh, nope. That's not it. Okay, so just in case it doesn't come up, Sabbath is a Hebrew word, Shabbat. There you go. Meaning to stop or rest or even the idea of intermission. 
You know, did you know that there uh, used to be in movies, you know, they would actually pause the movie in the middle of movies at a movie theater and have an intermission? And I guess they still do that with plays, but I'm not cultured enough to go to plays. Uh, but they used to do that in movies. Literally, my boys got me to watch this old Western. Um, it had Robert Redford in it, and what's it called? Jeremiah Johnson. It was a 70s Western mountain man type movie, not a traditional Western. And we're watching this movie on Amazon Prime in our home, you know, we're able to do whatever. All of a sudden, all of a sudden this music comes on intermission. I was like, that's so weird. But they knew that you needed a rest. How many times have you missed a key part of a movie because you had to go use the bathroom and there's no break, right? Intermission. Intermission's a good thing. Rest and pausing and stopping is a good thing. And the idea of Sabbath rest or stopping or Shabbat is that we need to rest from worrying. We need to rest from working. We need to stop and to be with God. You know, you may have heard it as one of the Ten Commandments before. You may, that may be where you've heard it before. You're familiar with it. But the idea goes farther back than even the Ten Commandments. When God created the earth, in Genesis chapter 1, he created and spent all this time creating. And then in Genesis chapter 2, it says that he rested. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, read this with me. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all the work, all his work that he had done in creation. That, that's a little strange for us because we think of God, we think of God being almighty, all powerful, and he absolutely is. So why does it say that he rested? Was he tired? I, I don't think he was tired. I, I don't think he was tired. I believe that he rested because he had created this universe and he created us as people, the crowning jewel of that creation, and he wanted to make sure that he had time with us. And he has the capacity for it, right? But who does not have that much capacity for rest and taking time with God? Us. And so he built in to our very existence the idea of taking a break and spending time with him. Going back to the Ten Commandments, you know, some of you may have heard that, you know, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy as we read, or as, we, as we're going to read here in just a moment. But here's what he did. When he gave the Ten Commandments, I want you to think about when this fell in the history of Israel. They had spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt. This was a group of people who for 400 years had been told when to eat, when to sleep, when to work, when to not work, and they were told this is how you do it. They did not have any freedom, the very definition of slavery, right? And so here they are coming out of slavery, and God, in his wisdom, said, here's what you need to do with this, all this newfound freedom you've got. Because you know what it's like? The moment you give kids freedom, they lose their mind, right? I mean, we were all there, you know, I mean, you can steal freedom. I used to steal it, you know, and still do stuff that I wasn't supposed to do. But then when I got my freedom, woohoo, you know, y'all must have been better than me. But anyway, I mean, and these, these people, for 400 years, they had no concept of freedom. And it could have easily have destroyed them, and for many of them it did because they could not come to grips with how to follow God. So he gives them these Ten Commandments, and one of them, he says, is you need to take time to rest. 
If they ever got any rest in the previous 400 years, it was when they were told to, and it probably wasn't very restful. Because what's the worst thing somebody can tell you to do? Go lay down and take a nap. Now, when you're an adult, you love it, right? But that was 20 minutes of H-E double hockey sticks. Uh, I saw a few kids in here. When I was a kid, when my mom said, go lay down, right, and take a nap. No, no. And now I'm like, please let me take a nap. Please. But he said, here's what you got to do. You don't know how to rest, so I'm going to build it into your calendar. Here's the best way to live out this newfound freedom that you don't even know how to use it. So I'm going to tell you how to do it. That's what the Ten Commandments are. In Exodus 20, verse 8, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. If somebody comes to visit you and they're not one of us, they still need to rest on the Sabbath. That's how serious God was about it. It's the fourth most important thing he told them in the, in the, under the old covenant that they had to remember, take a rest. Now, just like all of us, we mess up things, don't we? You know, we have the best of intentions a lot of times. And over time, God's invitation to rest became an idea that they took and they misconstrued. In an attempt to honor God, he gave them this rule for freedom and to make sure that they got to spend time with him in their busy lives and their busy weeks. And they turned it into something that was meant for freedom, and they turned it into restriction. And they started adding to it. Uh, they did a great job of adding to it. God intended for it to be a time when they could spend time with family and spend time with God together and, and focusing on how good he was and how much he provided. And then they added 39 categories of work to define work. They said, this is work, 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 this is work. They even defined how far you could walk before it was work. You couldn't walk more than seven-eighths of a mile, according to the Jewish customs. Not God's law, but Jewish customs. You couldn't walk more than seven-eighths of a mile. You better time your journey right. You get out seven-eighths of a mile from home, it's like, well, I guess I'm here tonight, <laughs> you know? You know, you can only walk seven-eighths of a mile. And, and people who strictly follow the Old Testament laws and customs to this day in, in areas that are highly populated by Jewish populations, they have what is called Shabbat elevators or Sabbath elevators. They have a setting on the elevator when you go into the building, the apartment or the museum or whatever it may be, you go in and they have a setting where the, the elevator runs on a schedule and just stops at every floor. Genius way to keep 13-year-olds from going and pushing all the buttons because it takes all the fun out because it's going to stop at every floor regardless, right? But literally, and because they added in that you were not supposed to strike or make a fire, and they adapted that to electricity, so you can't push a button to cause electricity to take place for the elevator to work, so as long as you don't push the button to make it, you can use it. And that's the idea. And it came from this idea of, here, I want you to have freedom to be with your family and worship me. And just like, just like we would have done, they added all these restrictions. They meant to be something good, but they made it something so much worse. And that was the common understanding of Sabbath until Jesus came on the scene. In Mark and Luke and two Gospels, 
Jesus is shown walking on the Sabbath, and he gets in trouble. He liked to get in trouble on the Sabbath. Not with God. He was good with God, but with people. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 1, it says, On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Because they would have described just rubbing those heads of grain to get the husks off, to eat the seed. They would describe that as work. So you couldn't feed yourself. The food had to already be prepared, at least in their mind. And so they were upset with him, and they tried to find fault with him. And the the funny thing is, is that later in Luke chapter 6, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it points out that on another Sabbath, he was confronted because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. They literally got mad that he healed somebody on the Sabbath. And Jesus, in perfect fashion, he roasted them. You know what I mean? He was like, he says, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? Mic drop, you know? Mic drop. And walks away. Is it lawful to do good or harm? And then in that Mark account of the same one that we started off when he's rubbing the heads of grain, Mark tells it like this, the last part of the story. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. It says, And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. He, he makes this point that you and I have to try to understand is that the Sabbath wasn't made to restrict us. It was made to help us. It wasn't made to tell us no. It was made to tell us yes about the right thing at the right time. That's what we have a hard time with is getting the right thing done at the right time or not doing the right things at the wrong time. That's our struggle. And so Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And this is, this is beautiful. Sabbath is a gift from God to learn how to best live out your freedom, to best live out your freedom. You see, God knew that the Israelites and you and I would struggle in such a mighty way that we would run ourselves into the ground with busyness, right? With busyness. I remember hearing years ago that busy is an acronym for being under Satan's yoke. I heard that because what, what's your badge of honor? What's my badge of honor when you're talking to somebody? How you doing? Oh, I'm good, but I'm busy. I'm busy. And when I, I learned that, I was like, that, that's sort of, I still say it. I still say it, and I'm still make myself busy. But when I do, I can be under Satan's joke if I'm not careful, and you can be the same way. And so what he's trying to get us to understand is that people would run themselves into the ground, and they would put our identities, we would put our identities into what we could accomplish and what we could attain and what we could do. And I'm not asking you to answer this out loud. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. But how many times, like what we just said, how many times have you taken pride into how much you have going on in your life? And if you're being honest, how many times has all that stuff and all that chasing and all that working and all that effort and all that gaining and seeking, how many times has it really made you fulfilled? How many times has it made you miserable? A lot, yeah. We, we struggle with finding the balance that God wants us to have. And so the Sabbath is a command to protect us from ourselves, where God says to take a rest. Sabbath is a, a call to, to stop and allow God to impact you. 
in a busy life and for you to trust him. And, and, and this is a phrase I want you to hear. I want you, and this is going to be on the screen. The Sabbath is a limit that produces life. The Sabbath is a limit that produces life. And our brains can't, I, I can't comprehend that. I, as I said, this has been a struggle for me. Because I saw the way that people took the Sabbath to a fault. When I was a kid, uh, I, I did not grow up Jewish, but people took the, the Sabbath so literally in, in my community that I would see people when they rode by and somebody was mowing their lawn on Sunday. Shame, shame, shame. Center, center, center. You know, people, people would act, and they would think you were the worst person ever. That, that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point he was trying to make. And so I ran so far from Sabbath, and I wore this idea of I've got to go, 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 go as a badge of honor. And it's been noted, and if you were listening closely in, in Genesis, it's been noted that God blesses three things or three types of things. He blesses people, he blesses animals, and he blesses the Sabbath. And scholars have, have pointed out something interesting, is that you notice the pattern between those three things. Two of them seem similar, but the third one, the Sabbath, doesn't seem like the same thing. But it, scholars have made this idea that the Sabbath is included in that because God blesses things that can procreate and create new life. People, animals, and the Sabbath. When you take a Sabbath, it creates new life in you and gives you that rest. Seventh-day Adventists um, are a, a group, a denomination in American Christendom that uh, honor a Saturday Sabbath. Um, I, I would disagree. They take it a little bit extreme, but they've got some things that we can learn from them. And one of the things that scientists have understood, they studied a lot of Seventh-day Adventists, and they found that people, the Seventh-day Adventists, on average, live 10 years longer than the average American. 10 years longer. Now, they also have some dietary restrictions that, that a lot of people don't follow. But here's the interesting thing. Scientists took that into account, and they noticed that some groups that have similar dietary restrictions did not have the same extended life expectancy. But the Sabbath rest seems to be a key. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. I'm not much of a statistician. I like statistics so much in college, I took it three times. Um, yeah, I, that's no joke. Uh, that's no joke. Um, made me change my major. I was just say that before the Bible. I did great in Bible college. Right? <laughs> if you add up one day of rest, one day of rest per week to account for the average life expectancy of seventy years, you know how many days that is? Three thousand six hundred and forty days. Ten days shy of ten years. Resting can actually extend your life. That's not, this is an infomercial, that's not a promise. Results may vary, you know. But, but there's, a, there's a possibility. I will tell you this, the way that we're doing it is not right, most of us. We're, we're, the way we're doing it is not right. And it, it's so eye-opening. And see, modern science and statistics have confirmed that what has been in God's Word for centuries, for thousands of years, that living in God's rhythm can literally extend your life. In God's plan for things. Living against it, it definitely just brings pain and anxiety and worry and lack of well-being, that, that languishing that we mentioned early on. 
Living out of God's rhythm is a lot like walking around with a dislocated shoulder that you haven't got set up and you're trying to convince everybody that everything's all good. And like, you know, any little thing that happens, you're like, oh, I can't do anything. And you're just trying to act like everything's okay. And that's the way we live. When we don't live on God's rhythm, we're trying to act like the way we're doing it is working. But everybody knows it ain't working. You know, it's not working for them. It's not working for us. And we've got to say, realize that things got to have to be in sync, that we have to live in God's rhythm and stop ignoring the pain that going against God's rhythm is leading us to live in. In my early ministry, um, I heard just enough people say the idea that preachers don't work. You know, some of them, it was, they were just joking. It's kind of a cultural thing, I think, at least in eastern North Carolina. You know, preachers don't work. You know, they work one day a week, that kind of thing. And I heard just enough people say that, and I was enough of a people pleaser that it really, I ingrained it down in my soul. And so I was like, I'm going to show them that I am the hardest working person. I'm not going to rest. I'm not going to take a break. I'm, going to, I'm just going to neglect everything, but I'm going to work, 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 work. Because, I, hey, I'm working for God, right? I'm working for God. That's, that's all that's important. And I realized I was robbing my family. And I was robbing my soul from God, you know? I was doing God's work, but I wasn't connected to God because I wasn't slowing down and taking any rest. And all it did was leave me dry and empty and dull, and I had nothing to give. And so I was going through the motions. But here's one of the things that I heard years ago, and it has stuck with me, and if if you don't get anything else, maybe this is what you get. Activity does not equal productivity. Activity does not equal productivity. You can be doing a lot of stuff, but not accomplishing anything of any real value. Maybe you had a father who told you that real men don't need breaks and don't need rest. And so to this day, you neglect your family time and you work, 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 work because you want to be a real man. Maybe... You're a woman who took a break from her career to have children. And even though you took a break from that career, you've just taken all of that overworking that you did in your career and you apply it to your family at home. And you cannot take a break because if you do, then that says you're less than. And you cannot sacrifice your, your idea of perfection at the expense of not spending time with God and your family in the right way. You see, honoring the Sabbath proves to God that we don't think we are Him. Because me trying to be the perfect preacher and never taking a break, and you because of your dad telling you real men don't take breaks, or you being a woman who says, I want to raise my family for a few years, or or whatever, you find where you fit into that. Everybody's different. But you have to admit at some point in your life, God is God and I'm not. And I want you to know, and I'm I'm wrestling with this and I'm trying to realize this, is that my desire to never take a break is because I want to be in control of things and I want to pull all the strings. But that's not my place, that's not my power, that's not within my ability. Honoring the Sabbath proves to God that we don't think we are Him. People have even said, well, you know, the devil doesn't take any days off, so I'm not going to take any days off. Who wants to end up like the devil? I mean, but you've heard that, right? You know, it sounds good. Oh, the devil don't take any days off, so I'm not going to. But you don't want to end up like the devil. He's a loser. 
He loses. Be like God. God says to rest. God, even though he didn't need to, rested. Follow God's plan and God's rhythm. You ever seen a metronome? It keeps time. And it's supposed to keep us on track. And that's what God is sort of intending, I believe, with a Sabbath, with taking time to rest, is it it keeps us on track, helps us to know what the rhythm is. And here's the thing. If we don't get the basics right, it limits how God can work in us and through us for the benefit of his kingdom. If we don't get the basics right. So to get rid of the languishing, we've got to get on tempo with God and live in his rhythm. That's our goal. Sabbath is not about a day. I, I want to make sure everybody hears that. I'm not saying we need to go back to keeping the Old Testament law. That's, that's not what we're saying. It's not about a day, but it's about a, a way of living in our world in a better way. It's about taking that time. It's a rhythm of rest in our lives every single day. And to experience life the way God intended, the way God intended, that, that is so key. Have you ever been using something the wrong way? And thinking, man, this just don't work that well. And then somebody says, oh, you got it upside down. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, I mean, that's kind of the way it is. When you're trying to work on your schedule and keep this hectic pace, trust God's way and his rhythm. You know, something I've noticed over many years in ministry is uh, people will overcrowd their lives. They'll overwork. They'll reach their limit. And then the first thing that they drop is church. And something I, I'm not mad at, I'm, I, my heart breaks for them, but something I want to say to them is, is your time at church is not what got you into the mess you're in. It's everything else. It's everything else, myself included. It's everything else that has got you off. The only thing that has kept you, from hold, kept you holding on this long was your time with God and His people. It's your time spent with Him. And so we've got to wrap our brains around this. And so, you know, on that same line of thought, I want to take a time and pause and get you to hear this. Something we encourage, if you're here enough, you'll hear say this, that we encourage people to serve two Sundays a month. Our, our big time, our big goal is one day to get to one Sunday a month. They were a ways from that. But two Sundays a month, especially, especially if you're in a job that takes you out of the, the service time. You know, you're back with the kids or something like that. We want you to try your best to do two, two times a month. But we have invariably, there are people who mean well and are excited and all ready to attack hell with a water pistol. And they're like, I'm good. I don't need, I need, I, I can do all four. I can do all four. I'm good. Give somebody else a break. I don't need a break. And you know what happens almost every time? They burn out. They burn out. Or before they burn out, they only show up to church when they're serving. And they're not getting fed. And my heart breaks for them because I'm like, you're walking with a limp, you're walking with a dislocated shoulder, and you're just trying to act like everything's okay. If you follow God's plan of serving and resting and serving and resting, it will help you that much more, and you'll be that much more productive. And here's a lesson that I learned, and I want you to see this. Read it with me. Sabbath is not rest from God. Sabbath is rest in God. You need to be with your church family learning and encouraging and challenging one another and being challenged. Walter Brugman said, people who Sabbath live all seven days differently, not just one. And so here's, I'm going to wrap up with these four quick ways that I want you to start to maybe introduce Sabbath into your life if you've not done so already. The first thing I want you to hear is this. Some of you are like, 
my schedule will not allow me to have a day off. And that, that may be true, but you can find a few hours. You can reprioritize, you can shuffle, you can find, because you will find time with what you want to do. And so if you can't do 12 hours or you can't do 24, it's okay. It's not a legalistic thing. It's not, you're not going to hell if you don't get the full 24 hours. God's not going to be like, you know that one Sunday, 23 and a half. That's not what he's saying. So try three hours. Shoot, if you're that bad, try one hour where you just unplug from everything. But try these things and see if it'll help you recalibrate to God's tempo in your life. And we call them just the four P's of practicing Sabbath. The first one is pause. It's literally that. Pause. Stop from work completely. I know crisis come up. Sometimes some of you are on the call in some way or another. You, you got to deal with the crisis. We're not saying that. But don't intentionally go look. Some of you think everything's a crisis. And that you're the only one that can fix it. That, that's me too. I've been there. I've done that. But pause from work completely for a period of time. Don't fall into, like we said last week, don't fall into the tyranny of the urgent. Where you think everything is urgent and you're just going to follow what it says to do. And you're just living your life spinning one plate after another. It said this, if I watched your Sabbath on mute, would I be able to tell any difference from every other day of your life? Is it showing up in the way you live? As we said, it's not legalism. We're not asking you. You know, if you like, for example, if cleaning settles you, straightening up at home, you can do that. But don't do it because you think my house has got to be perfect. You hear what I'm saying in that? You understand how we're looking at this? If, if cleaning relaxes you, that's not really work for you. You can do that. But if you're cleaning because I want everybody to think that I've got my life all together and I'm perfect, then don't do it because that's work. So take a break and declutter your mind. Worry about that instead, and you, you'll be focused. Number two is play. This is going to be weird for some of you. You, think, you might think, what in the world are you talking about play? Consider your time, your two or three or 12 or 24 hours, a day of delight. Spend some time having fun with, by yourself or with your family or with your friends. You know, make sure that you do things that are going to be enjoyable for you. A few examples I've seen people say is one family does a fancy breakfast, and they even do it in bed. They make breakfast. They don't cook in bed. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. They come and they serve breakfast in bed to one another, and they sit and have a really fancy breakfast, something more than they normally do. One family said, no laundry on that day at all. We're going to worry about it later. We don't do laundry because that stresses us out. For some people, it's just watching sports. It's, you know, it's exercising, going on a hike, going on a walk, going to the gym, whatever. If it relaxes you, do it. For some of them, you know, it's cooking or grilling together as a family or, or whatever. But do those things. Do things that bring you enjoyment. And this is a linchpin right here next. Three, praise, praise. Eugene Peterson um, has since passed, but he said, when we take a Sabbath but don't connect with God, he calls it a bastard Sabbath. He says it's not really a Sabbath. So you have to have time where you praise God and connect with God. So you relax, but you don't just relax and not focus at all on God. It doesn't mean you have to have an eight-hour church service at your home. 
You know, that's not what we're talking about. But you just intersperse throughout your day some things that draw your attention and your, your heart and your focus back to God. You know, it could be like a gratitude list. You just, everybody goes around and says two or three things they're thankful for. Thank you, God, for this. It could be praying out loud together, starting off your day with a, with a prayer together with your family or friends, and, and closing out your day. Um, you know, the beautiful thing is if, if you choose Sunday, you've already got a built-in time to worship God with your church family, and that's a great time to do it. One of the things that I've learned is as a preacher, I can't really rest on Sundays, and so I've got to make sure I choose another day, and your life might mean you've got to choose another day. And so don't feel like you're bound to one particular day. But just simply plan for these small pockets of praise throughout your day so it's not just an empty ritual. And that's the beautiful thing about Christianity is that Jesus is with you everywhere you go. And then the last one, but maybe the most important one, believe it or not, is prep. The Jewish people got this right in theory. They had the first half of Friday morning, because Sabbath didn't actually start until sundown on Friday and went till Saturday at sundown. So the first part of Friday was actually the day of preparation when they did everything they had to do to get ready to make sure that they did rest on the Sabbath. And so in theory, they got that right. And so you and I need to have time to prepare to get away, you have to prepare. To get away from this world, you have to prepare. It's the last thing we mentioned, but really it's the first thing you have to tackle. In Hebrews chapter 4, um, it talks about Sabbath, and it, it, it sort of points to the fact that Sabbath was not just about the day, it was about a Sabbath rest. It's the Christian life. And then on an even deeper level, it's when we get to spend all eternity with God in, in heaven, we get to spend this with Him without any distraction, with our flesh joined with our spirit and all of that. But it said, make sure you're careful to not miss entering that rest. And the same thing can be for taking some time to rest on this earth is make sure you do not miss the rest that you need to get away with God. So find a way to enter into your Sabbath, to train your mind to know that something different is getting ready to happen. Make the preparations you need to make. Turn off notifications on your phone. The world will not end because people cannot get up with you for another two hours. Turn off the notifications on your phone. Give yourself some grace. It'll take a while to figure it out what works for you and your family. It'll take some time. It's okay. You're not in a hurry. <laughs> That's the whole point. And then a preacher said years ago, he said, watch out for the Sabbath. It'll mess with you. First, it'll mess with one day. And then it'll mess with every day of your week. And it'll really start to change something in you. So if you've been going and trying to find your self-worth in you, in your effort, in your abilities, in your schedule, and you've been toning out and tuning out God, it's time to take some rest. It's time to take some rest. We need a true reset in our lives, in our hearts, if we're going to be the non-anxious presence in this world that Jesus was and he's calling us to be. Some of you are probably sitting here saying, I can't afford to rest. I would say you can't afford not to rest. If you want to be around for your family, 
if you want to be around for your friends, if you want to be around for the stranger that God intends you to meet at Walmart one day at the checkout and you get to invite him or her to church, if you want to be the person who God can use, you've got to rest and trust that he's God and you're not. The first way that you do that is by surrendering your life to him. You have to rest, as it talks about in Hebrews, in, the, in Jesus, rest in Jesus to be buried with him in baptism and raised to a new life. That old person has to die. If you need to be baptized into Christ today, that's your first step. But then also, if you have done those things and you have just been going about things your own way, it's time to say, not my way, but your way, God. I'm going to rest and trust you to bring about the best from my life and my work and my effort. Let's stand, let's worship. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.